we often think about exercise as it relates to strength and mobility. And the other flip side of the coin about exercise is it helps with healthy skeletal muscle. And muscle, skeletal muscle, is really the pinnacle of health and well-being. And that's what this concept of muscle-centric medicine is. It is this concept that muscle is an organ system in and of itself, which is true, the evidence supports that, and that it really is the most underrepresented tissue when it comes to preventative medicine. Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, uh, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist and coach, also author of Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. Also, TEDx and keynote speaker, and obviously host of this podcast. As listeners to the podcast know, my goal is to always bring you people who lead their own lives enthusiastically, uh, and perhaps even more importantly, they have ways of helping us to become better versions of ourselves. And we really have someone exceptional in this regard today. Uh, it's a real pleasure to present Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, who is a physician, author, educator, and founder of the Institute for uh, Muscle-Centric Medicine, which I'm sure is a new concept for many of us, so we can learn some about it. She's also the author of the upcoming book, which will be coming out in October, called Forever Strong a new science-based strategy for aging well. Um, so I guess some of you can guess why I wanted her to be a guest on the show. Um, in, in her book and throughout her work, Dr. Lyon uh, describes a food, fitness, and self-help strategy to optimize muscle no matter how you are and how old you are in the age span. Um, and certainly to help us age well and be able to do that at whatever age. Uh, her undergraduate training includes nutritional sciences and she's board certified in family medicine. She also has fellowship training in geriatrics and nutritional sciences. So uh, pretty much covers everything that we, we wanna know about aging well. Um, not totally sure where muscles come into this, but as a longtime exerciser, glad to hear about that. Um, so with all that behind us, uh, Gabrielle, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. It's a real pleasure to be on. Thank you, Dr. Ron. And I have to say, you've really done something extraordinary. You've been a lifetime exerciser. And what we know about exercise is, you know, the things that we think about that are obvious, but what people fail to recognize is how critical it is for all the things related to actually aging above and beyond mobility. We often think about exercise as it relates to strength and mobility. And the other flip side of the coin about exercise is it helps with healthy skeletal muscle. And muscle, skeletal muscle, is really the pinnacle of health and well-being. And that's what this concept of muscle-centric medicine is. It is this concept that muscle is an organ system in and of itself, which is true. The evidence supports that. And that it really is 
the most underrepresented tissue when it comes to preventative medicine. Wow, that's that's really interesting. I uh, I wonder. I mean, is this something that you came upon, or is it common uh, knowledge? I mean, I don't think that uh, at least in in the, the circles that I've traveled in, uh, that I've met a lot of physicians who base a whole lot on muscle. I mean, they say it's a good thing to have, don't have too much of it, or you're going to get muscle bound, but all that. But, uh, you know, but, but it sounds like uh, this is a little bit unique. Tell us a little more about well, the, what came about. Yeah. The hypothesis is unique, but it, this is one of those cases where it's something that's been in front of us for decades and it's hidden in plain sight. I did my fellowship in geriatrics and nutritional sciences at Washington University in St. Louis, and that's really where this concept of muscle-centric medicine was born. I, as a physician, and as every physician should be, uh, was very caring and felt very personally responsible for the sicknesses and kind of this trajectory of aging that I was witnessing. From a clinical perspective, I was seeing patients over the age of 65, and then part of my fellowship responsibilities was running a um, obesity medicine clinic. At first glance, those things are very different. Having issues with weight and aging, right? Uh, oftentimes we think about that as very different, but I noticed that the one thing that all my sickest patients had in common wasn't that they were overfat. It was that they were actually under-muscled. Hmm. And that what we were witnessing was not an issue of obesity, but it was an issue of something much more subtle that had been overlooked for decades. And it was this issue that they didn't have healthy skeletal muscle. And this was actually at the root of the problem rather than fat tissue, adipose tissue, or uh, Etc. That, that's uh, really kind of eye-opening because I I've frequently quoted when I've spoken and so on about the fact that obesity is a killer. But it sounds like it's not the obesity; it's the yeah. the under muscle and stuff. But um, how do we even know? If I mean, uh, I think it there's there's a bit of common sense involved in knowing that it, you're under muscled, but I mean, it's, it's to the best of my knowledge, I don't think it's the thing you get at the physical, at a typical right. physical. How do, how do you know whether you've got adequate amount? Uh, I, I mean, I know BMI probably has some relationship to it, but there's a lot of, a lot of ifs and buts about, you know, how accurate that is as, as a determiner. Most certainly you're pointing out something that's incredibly critical for the listener to understand is that this idea, we don't actually measure skeletal muscle as a, as a normal typical measurement as what we would consult, as we would think of as a vital sign, but skeletal muscle should be considered a vital sign. We know how much body fat percentage has potential negative implications, that whether you're 30% body fat, we know that there are issues with that. However, on the flip side, we don't actually know your optimal amount of skeletal muscle mass. We can guess and we can, you know, there are certain charts that will look at sarcopenia, whether it's appendicular skeletal mass index or 
um, you know, certain ways of, of looking at skeletal muscle mass, but we do not have an optimal range. And I think that this is a huge problem when we think about how are we going to define what being optimally muscled is? We don't have that answer. The best way to think about that is again, what you said, somewhat intuitive. Number one, are you strong? And can you do things that you did when you were younger? And then you pair that with what is what are your blood markers? So for example, one of the issues when individuals lose skeletal muscle is first, if we lay out what skeletal muscle is, it really is your glucose sink responsible for where you store nutrients postprandial or, or post feeding is skeletal muscle. Skeletal muscle is really the primary site for glucose disposal, carbohydrate disposal, fatty acid oxidation. When you lose skeletal muscle as you age, as you can imagine, blood sugar goes up, triglycerides go up. There's a whole host of metabolic issues and metabolic dysregulations that happen. And that really is a direct correlation to the health and the amount of skeletal muscle. And that becomes very fascinating because you know, I think that your whole premise is how are we going to age well? How are we going to age with enthusiasm? Nothing is going to crush enthusiasm faster than not feeling and being healthy. Nothing is going to crush enthusiasm faster than that, right? Even from a positive psychology background, you know, how do we really move into a time of aging, aging well, and being able to do it from a perspective of strength? So you're probably thinking, what can we do about that? I would say um, really beginning to shift. Number one, it's never too late. It's never too late to it's pick up. It's got to be encouraging to a lot of people. But it's true. It's true. Often, you know, again, I'm a, a trained geriatrician, meaning I took care of individuals at the later uh, part of their life. This is what I did for two years. And again, you see patient after patient, hundreds of patients over a period of time, you begin to see patterns. And I think that that's with any scope of work. It is it is the pattern and the experience that you begin to see. And one of the things that is very typical is there's a lot of cardiovascular activity, a lot of running, a lot of cycling. And, and that has been the modality of fitness, which it is really important. And that's really good for mitochondria and energy and all the things. The other aspect of aging well is really strength. And that's why I titled my book Forever Strong, because resistance training, being able to get up off the ground, being able to carry your groceries, being able to be strong will subsequently allow you to be metabolically healthy. So... Um... I guess the question is, if it's not typically measured, uh, human beings have have good ways of fooling themselves. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I suspect there are people who think that that they're stronger than they are, uh, or that they've got enough muscle because they're not uh, obese or, or overweight. Uh, how? How, how do you know? I mean, I happen to, I, I must confess that I have a physician who actually does measure muscle uh, uh, so that- uh, Wonderful, wonderful. The okay. first one I've ever had that's done that, but I've been there like five years now and, and that's part of the annual physical. But 
the average person doesn't. Uh, and, you know, again, I, if somebody is not, you know, bedridden, if they're able to, to go shopping, stuff like that, uh, you know, they might reasonably think that they're adequately muscled, which they may or may not be, but how, how do you know? Well, you start with your own personal measurements, and that would be some of the things that you need to think about. And again, I highlight this in my book, you need to take a full assessment. You go to the physician and you get your annual blood pressure checked, you get your heart checked, and you track those numbers. Those are numbers that you track. On the same hand, tracking things like sit-ups and push-ups and air squats and walking speed, these are all things that you need to know at baseline. What are you able to do? And always thinking about ways to improve that. What's fascinating about that idea is that oftentimes when people get older, maybe they stop doing push-ups. I mean, my dad is 74 and he still does push-ups and, and he still does squats, but that's something that I've watched him do his whole life. Understanding where you are at baseline, how many push-ups you can do, how many squats you can do, how can you then think about improving? It's really critical. Oftentimes when people become more mature, I think it's very often thought of as how are we going to maintain and doing walking and physical movements that you like, I would say there's still an opportunity to make improvements because for example, you make improvements, you know, Dr. Ron, you're always making improvements in your brain, reading and thinking and starting a podcast, doing things that challenge you that shouldn't stop as you go through aging. Yeah. And exercising is also very good for the brain. Um, but I, I uh, am wondering uh, then if we look at somebody who's been away from it for a while, listening to this podcast and, uh, you know, and they're saying, well, I, I've got some health going for me. I know people who haven't lasted much longer or people who have declined or um, you know, I think if COVID taught us anything, it's where you don't want to be in the, the midst of uh, a situation where you're in, in a facility with a lot of other immunocompromised people. Uh, so let's say somebody who's been away from it, you know, they spent lots of good years building a career, making sure their family's taken care of. Uh, how do you begin without hurting yourself? Because I... Uh, I do acknowledge when I when I try a new uh, exercise or so on, it's not always fun. So I, I think it's easy to get discouraged. Are there some guidelines that, that you recommend? As it relates to starting without getting injured would be if someone can work with a professional. Mm -hmm. um, there are multiple ways to do that, whether it's the YMCA, there's gyms all over, really working with a professional or even doing some kind of group coaching is, is important. That that can absolutely be done or having a perhaps a, a family member or a friend or someone who is really, really skilled. I think we're seeing more of that and having exercise be more of a team sport is is really important. If you do things slowly and gingerly, you are much less likely to get injured and it can absolutely be done. And of course, withstanding the frustration of doing something new, for example, swimming is very safe for people. Um, again, here we have silver sneakers at the YMCA where people can actually work with some kind of 
weight type training, but also body weights. Body weight exercises are very valuable. Again, it's never too late to start and you're never going to feel ready to start, but you still have to do it anyway. And it's more critical, the more mature you are to be moving and really working on strength. It's, it's critical. In fact, it's the most important piece of advice that I could ever depart that and increasing dietary protein. Those two pieces of aging advice from a geriatrician, uh, that those two pieces are, are gold increasing high quality dietary protein, which would mean lean red meats, chicken, fish, eggs, dairy, absolutely non-negotiable for an aging person because you must maintain skeletal mass. And I'm sure everybody knows what it's like and have, has seen people who have kind of your, your friends, maybe they shrunk a little bit. They uh, got have less muscle mass and, and you, you see them, right? We see that in our parents. We see that in uh, people as they begin to age. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. At, at some point, there is changes in protein turnover and, and it does become more difficult to build muscle mass. But again, really maintaining and protecting what you have through eating a diet that is high in high quality protein, some of the best advice I can give. All right. I'm glad you brought that up now because uh... Obviously, with your background in nutrition, that's one of the things we wanted to hear about. Uh, and uh, when, when I wrote my book, uh, I thought that that would be a, an easy first chapter or the, once we got past the general stuff, because nutrition is really dependent on you yourself. You don't need to depend on somebody else calling you back or, you know, uh, whether somebody's going to uh, say you can be on their team or whatever it may be. Um, my editor kind of talked me out of this saying that many, many people find that as a challenge to really change the, the way that they eat. And when you add to it, the fact that there are, are a million, uh, I guess for want of a better term, diets out there that uh, people hear about. Um, so from, from the standpoint of building muscle, um, what are some general, general guidelines? I'm, I'm really looking forward to your book to, uh, learn more about it, but you mentioned the importance of protein, which I think some places play down. I mean, I think everybody thinks protein is important, but I think the amount that you advocate is, is, is much more than other people. And I'm sure that there is something else that goes <laughs> to the diet besides protein. There is. Let's first start by talking about what the evidence says. And right now, the recommended dietary allowance of protein is 0.8 grams per kg, which is the bare minimum to prevent deficiencies. The average individual, um, you know, female, male will get between 70 and 90 grams of protein a day. 40% of women over the age of 65 are protein deficient are consuming less than the amount of recommended, less than the RDA of dietary protein. And remember, that was the minimum to prevent protein deficiency. We are not over-consuming dietary protein. And especially the aging population, the more mature individuals, you are not eating enough protein, period, end of story. 
100 grams of protein is likely not enough. You need more protein as you age. Some of the original work that was put together so lovely came out of the ProteAge study. So it was a consensus statement. It's available free online called the ProteAge study. And it recommends that roughly double the RDA is going to be closer to what individuals need. So a little bit less than one gram per pound ideal body weight. So if I if I don't know much about how much goes into a gram of protein. Uh, what is like, what's a normal piece of chicken or fish or whatever? Uh, you know, I, I mean, sure. A small, a small amount of dietary protein, you know, a small chicken breast would have maybe um, three ounce chicken breast would have 21 grams of protein. That's not much. Yeah. If I just told you that the average a female is getting around 68 and maybe the average male is going to be getting around 90. That means 50% of people are b above that, but 50% of people are below that. And that will go into muscle more than make you fat. <laughs> yeah. It's very difficult to get fat on, on protein. In fact, you need it because as we age, our body turns over protein, the ability to repair um, protein in the body decreases. And the way that we make up for that and account for that is to optimize for dietary protein. It helps support the body for this protein turnover that's happening. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? That means when you have less dietary protein, how are you going to support your organ systems? How are you going to support your muscle? And again, the body is going to prioritize other organs like heart and liver and brain. Um, brain doesn't directly use protein, um, does use glucose. But the other aspect then becomes, how are you going to protect your physicality? If you are fall, if you fall, how are you going to protect your bones? Um, bone is made up of protein. Muscle is the body's, you know, is physical body armor. It's critical and non-negotiable. So what do I recommend is I recommend all my more mature individuals eat two large protein meals a day. And that could be two scoops of whey protein at the first meal and then some other kind of high protein meal at dinner. Again, really optimizing for dietary protein with those first, the first meal and the last meal, I think are ideal. Making sure that you're getting anywhere between 40 or 50 grams of protein is a great strategy for an older adult because it will stimulate skeletal muscle. And then if they're hungry, having a midday meal uh, is perfectly adequate. And... Uh... Aside from protein, uh, can you just point out a couple of, I mean, I'm assuming that fruits and vegetables are good for you, uh, mm -hmm. uh, whole grains. Uh, what, what are some of the things that, that either you advocate as, as an important part and or what are some things that uh, really we should learn to keep away from? Processed foods. Processed foods really steal space in a diet. Typically, we eat less as we age. If you are starting to eat more processed and packaged food, then you're definitely not going to really be hitting those protein numbers. And then you're decreasing dietary fiber and you're decreasing micronutrients, uh, also phytonutrients. And those things are very critical. I will also point out that red meat gets a really bad rap. Red meat is very a very rich source of many nutrients. 
It is a rich source of protein. It is a rich source of iron, bioavailable B vitamins and zinc. It's very important for aging individuals. For whatever reason, you hear a lot, cut back red meat, cut back eggs. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Again, I have throughout my studies in nutritional sciences and geriatrics, high quality animal-based proteins are very supportive for an aging individual, extremely so. Has creatine in it. We know that creatine helps with brain function, cognitive function, uh, taurine, uh, carnosine, all kinds of things. When I was growing up, I knew one vegetarian. Mm -hmm. um, and now, you know, there are plenty of vegetarians and vegans who aren't going to get animal protein. What are some of the things you recommend for them? A way, um, a, a rice pea blend shake, or if they're going to eat soy, you could eat soy, those kinds of things. I have a, a link to protein guide on my website, I think, so they can get that. But plant sources aren't a great as a whole food or not a great source of protein. And again, this is just based on biological uh, amino acid numbers. If someone was vegan or vegetarian, number one, I definitely don't recommend that if you are more mature. It's not good for you, mm. in my opinion. Uh, a one, uh, an additional way to kind of tackle that would be a rice pea blend of a protein. Right. Any, uh, any guidance for... <clears throat> young families or families of teenagers or, you know, the, who probably are exposed to some food, well, processed foods, uh, sometimes in school, sometimes friends' homes, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, just when they get old enough to see what's to, to go to in stores by themselves. Um, yeah. It's any, a tough one. It's really a tough one. I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. We really make good food choices at home and we educate. And again, any parent will tell you it's not what you hear, it's what they see. We make good choices at home and we really exploit those choices and we teach them so when they are out and about, they can make choices for themselves. But it is a challenge. I will say the younger kids don't have the same protein needs in the same way because they're very driven by hormones, they're very anabolic. They can get away with a lot more food flexibility mm -hmm. than a uh, more mature individual. But it, one of the things you said is kind of uh, resonates that uh, sounds like in so many, like in so many other areas, role modeling is a pretty powerful teacher so that... Uh, you know, eating the same kinds of foods that you want your kids to be able to eat probably is, is very, very helpful. It's fascinating. When I think about nutrition, I realize that it's the longest relationship that we'll ever have. Hmm. The relationship that we have with food is the longest relationship we will ever have. Huh. Outlives spouses, friends, children. It's the one thing that we are always doing and we've always done. And there's a lot of confusion around it and getting it right is critical and nobody gets it right the first time, but really thinking about what are some good foundational principles that one can have to maintain the relationship in a healthy manner. It sounds like with food, it's just like with exercise that, uh, you know, there may be some, some pitfalls along the way and you don't necessarily 
go from from nothing to everything but uh you know if you're committed that that it's never too late and, and conversely it's never too early to start on this yeah and i always struggle with this concept of how do we get people to rethink the the trajectory of how they age mm-hmm. um i commend you for doing what you're doing because I feel like the older generation, I know that you have listeners of all ages, but that the older generation is really left out and that a lot of the health, fitness and nutrition stuff is really targeted towards 20s, 30s, maybe 40s. Would you agree with that? Just the older population is is really left out. So all these recommendations that they hear or that are being made are really not necessarily directed towards a more mature audience. And that's a real disservice to people. That's why one of the reasons I wrote this book, because I saw the huge need and the huge need to address a more mature audience and also what can people do when they're younger? So for me, we have a very young family. What do I need to be able to teach my children? What do I need to do? How can I protect my body as I go into more advanced age? And what are the things that I need to think about? Because how we ate in our 20s is different than how we're going to eat in our 40s, 50s, and beyond. Mm -hmm. The choices, and when we reframe the paradigm from being over fat to under muscled and really thinking about muscle as this organ system that supports us and that we must eat for it and we must begin to address it and measure it and look at our blood work and take particular supplements that really support this tissue then we can change the trajectory of how we age. And that becomes liberating because the conversation becomes what do we have to gain rather than what do we have to lose? Wonderful. That's terrific. Uh, You mentioned a word that I guess I shouldn't allow to pass over since we've had some controversies even on this podcast. Uh, Not today, but uh, (laughs) you you mentioned supplements. uh, what what is the role of supplements? Is it a supplement, or does everybody need certain supplements, or how do you determine, or what what's what's your attitude and feeling on supplements? A few things. It depends on where you are in your life cycle. When you're younger, you probably need less because you're consuming a higher volume of food, depending. As individuals mature, I think there are certain supplements again it's a a pretty complex topic. What I like to do is I like to pick supplements that are evidence-based and have, and have very good research behind it. And that's how I think about when are we going to deploy supplementation for individuals that are more mature and pretty much individuals in general, there's a handful that I recommend. Number one, vitamin D, making sure you're checking and taking it. We always looked at vitamin D levels when I was in geriatric clinic. Vitamin D is important. Fish oil is also very important. Omega-3 fatty acids for the brain, for even muscle. Creatine, I believe, is also a wonderful supplement. And then finally, I think um, something called urolithin A, and the company that I use is MitoPure. Phenomenal. Phenomenal for anybody who is aging to support mitochondrial health. And uh, I just listed the supplements that I take as well. It doesn't really matter where you are in the trajectory, I think um, as you become more mature, adding in supplementation is is very important. But again, do I think it's too 
is an individual too young to start? I mean, I supplement my kids with fish oil, mm -hmm. vitamin D. Yeah, I remember creatine because they're eating red meat, but you know, really thinking about supplementation. And then again, you know, we don't have the same kind of soil that we used to. We get to make our own choices. We have more food that we've, you know, that we've ever had before. And with that comes individuality. I do think that basic supplementation is good, solid. So I feel very good as a physician making that recommendation. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's a reason for people to re-listen to the podcast. Uh, we'll try and capture most of this in the show notes, but, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's really an important thing. And uh, you, you mentioned fish oil. I remember when I was growing up, there was a period of time when, uh, I don't know what, what ages, but I think we all pediatricians recommended cod liver oil, which, uh, wasn't necessarily the best tasting thing, but, uh, but it was something that obviously has some, some good science behind it. Um, and I, I'm assuming that, that, uh, the goal here is to both increase the lifespan since we uh, we now have the science to be able to to anticipate living longer, but also to increase the health span so that the gap between the health span and lifespan is as non-existent as we can possibly make it. I, I absolutely agree. There's a lot of talk about longevity. And with longevity, it really is the quality, the quality of one's life. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not uh, about extending lifespan, right? Uh, humans, I believe, are programmed to live a certain amount. And, you know, there's a lot of argument uh, arguments, oh, you're going to live to 120 or whatever that is. But we all have a, a time. We don't know when that is. Thinking about how we can navigate that from a place of strength and capacity is critical. And the way that we're going to do it is going to be dietary protein, having a protein forward diet. And here's why I really talk about this is because it's, again, the one thing that 100% of people do. Less than 50% of Americans exercise, less than, you know, something like 24% meet the recommended amount of specific diet, uh, specific, specific exercise, but 100% of people eat. So we have to begin to feed in a way that protects our skeletal muscle as this organ of longevity. And then really making sure that we are training and exercising and moving. And it is very foreign, right? But it's a, it's a slow decline. People don't just stop. It just becomes this decrease in physical activity over time. And rightly so, it's challenging. It, it takes a lot of effort, and but it's worth it. It's worth it. And it's the thing that you have control over. And as you pointed out early on, I mean, the evidence is there. I mean, the, the strategies you're recommending are evidence-based, science-based, and so on, which um, I, uh, people can tell how interested I am in the speaker and your topic by how long I tend to, to <laughs> overrun what I, what I promised. Uh, and certainly it's been been a fantastic conversation. Really have enjoyed this. Well, let's hear a few things of, from a really practical standpoint. So the two most obvious first things are uh, to tell us a little bit about uh, your institute and where it is and who it's accessible to and so on and why, why is it or is it different than 
finding a, uh, you know, a, a physician or reading a book and so on. And then speaking of the book, uh, while you've certainly alluded to things in there, if you can tell us a little more about it, publication time, where people can get it and so on. Well, first of all, this concept of the Institute for Muscle Centric Medicine came from this idea that everything that I was hearing was all focused on obesity. There's obesity medicine associations. Everything is focused on obesity. And the Institute for Muscle Centric Medicine is a institute where we're beginning to train physicians and health coaches. So if you have any of those that are listening, really on reframing health and wellness from a skeletal muscle mass perspective above and beyond training. So this is not necessarily all about exercise. This truly is what does the health of skeletal muscle look like? How do we maintain it? What can go wrong? And it's a think tank and it provides education, whether it's for the military or other physicians and the public. I put out a ton of free content. I have a podcast called the Dr. Gabrielle Lyons Show. I bring in world-leading experts in either their science domain or their life experience. And we talk about things that really allows people to move the needle in their own life. I have a 30 G's recipe. It's free where we send out 30 gram of protein recipe. So if everyone is listening and thinking, well, gosh, how can I really increase my dietary protein? What does that look like? I've done it for you. On my website, there's a whole bunch of uh, free downloadable things. When they pre-order the book, there's exercise videos. There's just tons of stuff. I have a YouTube channel. I have a newsletter. All of this is free, free content to be able to learn from. And the book comes out October 17th. I strongly encourage people to pre-order because with a pre-order, they will have access to the Forever Strong community. I'm in there answering questions. I'm in there doing live Q&As and very involved. So it's a very involved or over a thousand people strong and uh, it's a great way for me to be able to interface individually. Is that for individuals of all ages? Or all ages. All ages. Wonderful. Wonderful. And so the key, the key place to, I mean, the book, uh, will that be available? It's on, available on Amazon right now. It's also available on my website. Um, great. And uh, run by... The website again, so that, that which I guess is the starting point for all the free yep. stuff and yes, all that. It's Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, L Y O N dot com. Uh, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, you'll see it. Here's a copy of my book. So cool. Mm -hmm. A lot of work went into this. Look how thick it is. Yeah, I'm sure. Great. Quite a labor of love to be able to really help change the trajectory. This is information that has to get out there. You know, I do a lot of podcasts and I would say that the two groups that it's really going to impact the most is number one, the aging population. Mm -hmm. This book, if people read it and get their hands on it, it will forever change how they age. And again, I'm a trained geriatrician and uh, I feel very responsible to be able to provide this. And I, I just think it's such critical information. And the other person that's going to help is people that have always struggled with their weight just yo-yo dieting where it has consumed so much of their mental bandwidth and even taking them away from fulfilling certain goals in life because they felt ashamed or just they just couldn't quite get it right for themselves. So this, this book is really a book about liberating an individual. Great. Well, I 
Can't wait to read it. I'm sure a lot of the listeners feel the same way. And geez, uh, to avail themselves of all this other free stuff. In addition to listening to the podcast again, uh, I think you can pick up a lot of information and, and we will have a lot of this contact information in the show notes. Um, and are you on social media too? Yes, I'm very active on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook, all under Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, Twitter as well, and YouTube. A lot of YouTube content. Okay. Um, well, I hate to ask this last question because uh, maybe you'll tell me something and uh, we'll, we'll keep running and, and I'll be imposing on your time more. But No, is, no, no. It's is, my pleasure. Is there anything I should have asked you but didn't or anything else you think is critically important to uh, to help the listeners? The idea that resistance training is... Um, it is really, really critical. This idea of moving weight, it doesn't have to be super heavy weight, but it, it really has to be done. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Does that include uh, things like, like these bands or cables? That's a great place to start. Yeah. It's kind of my, my cool down exercise. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Well, Needless to say, this has been a tremendously enlightening uh, podcast episode. I learned a lot. I know our listeners learned a lot. Um, our goal really is behavior change so that you can become the best version of yourself. And I, I think it. that uh, we kind of work in the same space in more than one way, not only working toward uh, enhancing the aging process and make it making it healthier but also you know when you were mentioning some of the the things that like people were working on obesity and stuff like that and look at it you know on a more proactive positive way i know when i first wrote my book i could find lots of books on uh cognitive decline uh you know how you get uh ready how you deal with caregivers things of that nature um but few people, and now more are doing it, but few people have written or spoke widely about the notion that you don't have to, that you, uh, there are things you can do. So I think both of us share the, the notion that you're in control of a big part of your health. Um, totally. I'm sure genetics plays its role and some people are dealt a worse hand than others, but you're in control of a lot. and. Uh, decline is not an inevitable part of the, the normal aging process. And so, again, it's been so, so great talking with you, Gabrielle. Thanks very much. Um, and wish you continued success in spreading the word. And, thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This brings to close another episode of the Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser podcast. Our special and highly informative guests and Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Um, we'll have all the contact information uh, available with the show notes. Uh, get her book because unlike a lot of books that you order on Amazon, this is going to come with other kinds of stuff that's available to you. Uh, take advantage of, of the stuff that she has online uh, because it's not just interesting, but it, but it can be helpful, life prolonging, and uh, give you some really, really good guidance. 
And uh, tell your friends about this. Listen to the podcast again, download it, tell your friends, rate the podcast, uh, review it, and be back next week when, although it'll be a, a hard, a high bar to, uh, to, to go over, we will have another guest to help you to become a better version of yourself. And until then, everybody stay healthy, stay positive, and stay safe. See you next time.